You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick podcast. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 5, A Voice in the Dark, by Borealis Blue. He could feel hot, angry tears welling up in his eyes as sadness and despair filled him. He'd been trying to outrun the inevitable reaction to being stuck in this pod alone, in a pocket of space with nothing in it. No sound, no light, only darkness where he waited for rescue. But it was as if he didn't exist at all. Was he even worth the effort for rescue? He closed his eyes, and a tear ran down his cheek. He was so frustrated. He didn't like the silence. It reminded him of another silence he had experienced as a child. A silence that only happened as a result of massive lost life. He remembered running down an empty street alone, the last bit of gunfire fading in the distance. It was so quiet. The last bit of cries for mercy had long since faded in the air. He remembered running and running until his legs burned, and the only sound he could hear was his labored breathing and the pounding of his heart in his chest. He had stopped next to a large field of dead grass. The ebbing and flowing of the wind moved the field like a brown rotten sea, and yet the movement, the sound, it was as if the ground were alive, calling to him. Life this way, he ran towards it, towards freedom. He had nowhere to run now. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world, Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest author today is Borealis Blue. She has been a member of AO3 since 2018 and has posted a total of eight fanfiction stories for the Good Omens and Star Trek fandoms. She is currently a student in college studying animation. She's received the second-highest scholarship her art school offers because her portfolio is just that good. She loves to incorporate her art skills into her fanfiction stories. Borealis Blue, thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you. Was there anything else that you wanted to add to your bio before we get started? Not really. You pretty much summed up everything. I love to create art. I love to write and I am still learning how to do that. So I'm excited that you were willing to like pull me in here. <laughs> we're so excited to hear from you. I always like to start at the very beginning of people's fan fiction journey. So I always ask about the time that you first discovered fan fiction. So why don't you go ahead and give us a little history of your fan fiction journey and where that started? Sure. Okay. So when I first discovered fan fiction, I was in my senior year of high school. And this girl in my class, her older sister had gone off to Disneyland to play the character Alice. Like you go meet the cast and characters. So she was playing Alice and she happened to be dating the character who played Hatter. And so she, for a project, did fanfiction of like their love story of Alice and Hatter and then turned it in and the teacher had her read it to us in class and 
I was like, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. What do you mean? <laughs> like, it, I just like blew my mind. And I talked to her afterwards. And I was like, why did you pair those two together? Like, I just had never even considered that they could be a couple. And by this time, the Johnny Depp version had already come out. And so she said she liked that version better, but other people on the internet preferred it. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Other people, what are you talking about? Other people preferred a different pairing. Like, I was like, other people do this? And then she pulled me aside. She pulled me into the school's library and she pulled up fanfiction.net and she's like, no, this, this is a thing. Like, people do this. People write their ships. They ship people together that aren't traditionally in the media that they consume. And I was like, what? Like, I was so blown away. Like, I could not believe that this is the thing that happened. And so... For a really long time, I was just a reader of fan fiction. Like, I really enjoyed reading what was out there. It was like discovering a whole new world, a whole new side to people that, like, I did not know existed. And so it was a really odd entrance into fan fiction, but, like, that just happened to be my origin. Do you remember what fandoms that you initially read in when you discovered fan fiction? Okay, so I, I didn't really go down the Allison Hatter <laughs> route, but I did really like Harry Potter fan fiction quite a bit. I did like reading Hermione's Draco and Hermione pairings. And because I had read the original books, because I was a really, really avid reader for books in general. Like I consumed books like air. I had gone through half of the library at my high school, just, you know, casually reading and, you know, during my spare time. And so I'd read all the Harry Potter books up until that point because there were still a few that needed to come out. And I just did not understand why Hermione ended up with Ron, like, the entire time that was happening in the books. So I was like, no, no. <laughs> like, I did not like it. And then I came across Hermione and I was like, wait a minute, I can read something absolutely different with the characters I love. And so that was one of the main things I mostly went in there. So I consumed it a lot. <laughs> I was just a great consumer of that ship. And then I stumbled across Jerry, and I also really liked that. And that was... Draco and Harry, but I was mainly for Hermione. I feel like a lot of people really love fan fiction because it does give us that opportunity to explore ships and scenarios that we just don't get to see in the original content. Exactly. Absolutely. My mind was blown. I was like, what do you mean I don't have to follow what was introduced to me? In the like, I just had never considered that there was a different way. There was another way to like interpret what had been given to me. Now, you said that you started off with fanfiction.net which is a little bit of an older platform. Do you remember when you discovered AO3? I did. And coincidentally, it happened to be for an Alice in Wonderland fic. So I'm just throwing that out there. That was an absolute coincidence. But someone on fanfiction.net, I don't remember their username or and I don't, I don't even remember what story it was, but they said, hey, I'm moving over to this platform. And I was like, oh no, they're going to be gone. I, I was really sad, but I didn't really quite understand what this other platform was. And they had left a link. And so I followed them and they had like transferred their Alice in Wonderland fanfiction to AO3. And that's how I discovered that platform. Now, which do you prefer? Because you've had experience with both. AO3, yep. <laughs> first of all, I when I had first gotten onto fanfiction.net, I didn't know people could leave comments. I just did not know people could interact with each other. I thought it was other people just offering up their work to be read. And I didn't know there was interaction. And then when I transferred over to AO3, I realized that people could leave comments. I realized that there was interaction going on, like, and you could filter things. Like, it was brand new to me. You know, I started out at fanfiction.net too, and I read a lot of Harry Potter fanfiction there, which there's a ton of it on that platform. But when I discovered the tagging system that AO3 had to offer, 
I was done with fanfiction.net because I just love being able to filter things out with the tags. It makes it much easier. Oh, yes. I do not blame you that my favorite tag is completed. (laughs) I hear you on that. Absolutely. Now, you've been a member of AO3 since 2018, so not too terribly long. When did you first write your first piece of fanfiction, and what was that experience like? My first piece was actually on fanfic.net, but like, I didn't really know what I was doing. It was a Toy Story AU. (laughs) It was all the toys were real, like it was real world stuff. And the crazy thing was, is I had written this fanfiction. I'll explain to you why it's crazy in a second. I had written this fanfiction from Buzz Lightyear's point of view because I always loved Buzz Lightyear. I always loved the rangers that were on TV. Like, there was a TV show where Buzz Lightyear and all his friends were just, it was on the Disney Channel, and it basically was just a show for, like, Buzz Lightyear and all his friends and everything. So I wrote the fanfiction from his point of view about visiting Earth. Like, he got stranded on Earth from space, and so it was mainly space-themed, and I absolutely love the idea of space and everything else, and so crash landed and everything and that fan fiction i like left it there i didn't even really like think much of it i wrote it i completed it it was done i didn't really you know think much of it the crazy thing was i recently turned in a paper for last semester in my college and uh it got flagged for plagiarism and i was like what like i was shocked i was like what do you mean my paper on ancient mesopotamian art is flagged for like plagiarism like how could this be It's because the school's filtration system, I wrote so similarly to the oldest Toy Story fanfiction that it picked up. And so my professor called me into his office. Well, it was Zoom because, you know, COVID. And he's like, can you explain to me why this Toy Story fanfiction and your paper on ancient Mesopotamian art is saying that it's plagiarized? And I'm like... I almost had a heart attack because I had forgotten. I had completely forgotten that I had even tried to write like a toy. I just forgot it existed. I spaced it from my mind. I blacked out and I had to explain to my professor, nope, that's mine. That is indeed. (laughs) From then on, I've had to be excruciatingly careful because I was like, okay, that fanfiction wasn't too bad. Honestly, what was it? It was Buzz Lightyear having an adventure on Earth. That's what it was. (laughs) So I was like, thank heavens, that was the fanfiction that it got tagged. (laughs) The thought of him finding my other fan fictions where I write for Star Trek and I write for the Kirk and Spock pairing and it can get a little uh, steamy. And so, uh, yeah, I was going to say those are a little spicier. So it makes me wonder what that conversation would have been like had he, you know, linked your school paper to those. (laughs) I don't even want to think about it. So I've been excruciatingly careful. I've been using plagiarism checkers and everything. But um, imagine my absolute horror of receiving that email in my school inbox. So... That is hilarious. I know that that must have been like shocking and probably almost gave you a heart attack when that happened. But when you look back on it, that's just so crazy. And the thing is, I was like, this is a research paper. Technology is getting scary. I was like, how did technology really pick up on the fact that me writing this Toy Story fan fiction, how did it compare to this Mesopotamian art? Like, I have no idea. So you have to tell us, what did your professor say when you told him? My professor just laughed like he thought it was the funniest thing. And he's like, you're not in any of the writing programs at our school, right? And I was like, no, because I am not. (laughs) I took one of the writing programs and it was a class that centered around the apocalypse. 
And so we had to read a lot of literature surrounding like the apocalypse and why the humanity is obsessed with the apocalypse and the idea of zombies. So, you know, that class was really interesting, but like none of the other writing classes that my school offered, I was really interested in really deep poetry or like philosophical papers and uh, you know stuff like that I wasn't too interested in so he's like you should really check out the writing program and I'm like okay thanks and then I just kind of like awkwardly like closed out the zoom meeting and I was like okay we gotta make sure this never happens again I wonder if that's ever happened to anybody else that's such a crazy story I love it most of your fan fiction stories have been for the Star Trek fandom which I love huge Star Trek fan here can you tell us how you became involved in Star Trek so uh, I am a little late to the game. I mean, but then again, who isn't? Because the fandom is like 60 years old. But I am really late to the game. So what had happened is I had... The doctors aren't really certain what happened, but I was at work and they believed I might have suffered an ischemic stroke. And I didn't make it to the hospital in time. And the hospital I did make it to didn't have the proper equipment to diagnose me as, yes, this is a stroke. But whatever happened to me, it was like a weird glitch in my body. I started to have a lot of health problems after that. A week later, my family was moving and I picked up a kitchen chair and I fainted. And I was taken to the hospital and I had a week stay in the hospital and they were running all these like neurological tests and they were doing all this stuff. And I'm not a big TV watcher at all. I don't enjoy commercials. I don't watch a lot of things on TV. It's just not something that interests me. But the doctors are like, no, you need to watch something. Please, like, we need to make sure that you're okay. And also, low-key, I think I was freaking out the nurses because they'd come in and check on me and I was just sitting there just staring. Like, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't watching TV. wasn't, you know, on my phone. I was just kind of like, I mean, I didn't feel very well. And so they were just like, please, you need to watch something. And I was like, I'm not really interested in TV. And they're like, well, we have on TVD, like, we have Star Trek. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, well, we have all the DVDs. You can just watch them like one after the other. It'll be fine. And so they're like, we just need to make sure that you can see okay. And that like, you're cognitively understanding things. And I was like, okay, I I guess, right? And like, that's when the obsession began. Like I, I started watching it and I was like, this is amazing. Like a TV show that came out in the 60s. It was so colorful. Like, I absolutely adored it. And for a really long time, when they did try to make me watch TV, it made me really sick because it would become blurry and the noises would become too loud and everything. But, like, Star Trek was perfect. I didn't have a problem listening to the dialogue. It's very dialogue heavy. And so I didn't have a problem listening to dialogue. I didn't have a problem with things becoming blurry or in and out. Just because the long camera shots in Star Trek, the original series, like, there's those long station tracking movements or, you know, it's very slow because that was their process. And so it was really easy for me to digest. And oh, oh boy, did I digest it. I gobbled that stuff up. And I was like, man, that was so good. And they're like, you know, we have the next series. And I was like, there's another one? <laughs> like after I like finished it. And, and then like I was exposed. Like they were just like, yeah, there's several. It's still on TV. And I was like, what? Like I was blown away. And so that's when the obsession began. Let me tell you. <laughs> So they started you off with original Star Trek with like Kirk and Spock. And that's so cool, though, because that really is where the whole Star Trek story begins. And the episodes can get a little campy, but it's wonderful. So I'm so glad that the one that they started you on was the very beginning with the original cast. That's awesome. I love it. That's where I live. I'm obsessed with the original series. It's very, very good. I mean, well, okay, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Star Trek is terrible, but it's so terribly good. 
that each episode that is terrible, you just kind of, you're just like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put up with this episode just because I absolutely love the concept and show and characters. But also like, when is Star Trek not bad? It's so good. It's absolutely backwards how insane all of Star Trek is. The stories can be a little crazy and insane, and it's sometimes they can be comical. And especially like in the 60s, when you're looking at the old episodes with the horrible old like special effects, you just kind of laugh and go, oh, that's really funny. But you stay for the characters because the characters are just amazing. They're all so different. And the way that they interact is so entertaining. I love it. I absolutely agree with that. I think that there is something very special about the characters presented. Because you are right, there are a lot of, you know, styrofoam rocks, there are a lot of plastic aliens, you know, it's insane, but there is something very alluring about the characters. Now, did you ever branch out to the original Star Trek movies, the ones that came out in the 80s? I consumed absolutely as much as possible. There is like one movie I haven't watched, and that's the movie where Kirk dies, because my poor little heart... I like I know like I know what happens like I've heard through the grapevine like I did my research I know I just absolutely I can't do it I cannot I cannot do it everything else I've seen I've seen absolutely everything else but I cannot watch Captain Kirk die like I barely made it through Spock get like in the radiation chamber like I barely made it through that and just because in the original series Spock is so sassy he is such a sass queen. I loved Spock. The way Leonard Nimoy portrays him, I instantly fell in love. And so when he died in the radiation chamber, spoiler alert, but it's been 60 years, when he died, I was like, man, my heart is broken. But thankfully, I knew about the other movies and I'm like, hurry, right, he comes back. This is my own only consolidation. But after Kirk's death, couldn't do it. I was like, I, I will not watch this. I will have to do it someday. So you could say that that final movie you've never seen is your final frontier. Stop. Absolutely. (laughs) Listen, I can't can't let it be my final frontier. I can't do it. (laughs) Well, if it makes you feel any better, he does go out a hero. So. Uh, Okay, but (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny. That's too funny. If you had to pick a couple of things about Star Trek that really draw you in to that fandom specifically, what would you say? You know, there's something very unique in humanity that has always looked towards the future. That it's just something so special in each generation. They've always imagined what the future is going to look like. There are, you know, vintage things from the 1800s where they thought that people would be walking on tiny boats on their feet out onto lakes because they believe that's what the future would look like. And Star Trek does like the craziest thing where they like, what they do is they represent a future that actually kind of came true. Like we have sliding doors, we have cell phones, we have all these technologies that were not around then. And we kind of as a society bloomed from that idea because they were showing us what the future could be. And humanity took that and absolutely ran with it. And it kind of, when I sit here and like think about it, it kind of makes me sad that I won't be able to see where the future goes, but I know it's going somewhere absolutely great. And I just, I get so excited about the idea. Like, you know, there's this Japanese businessman who is trying to build a hotel that will encircle the moon. So you can go and it will be like a cruise line and you go up and you basically cruise around the moon right and then come back and it is like a year's journey or whatever but that's what he wants for the future he wants it to happen in the future and 
that's just so exciting to me. Space really is the final frontier. There's so much out there. And to think that we are the only organisms that just happen to be the perfect distance from the sun and perfect distance, you know, for away from the sun and that we're just some like cosmic mistake that hasn't been repeated in the universe is a very selfish idea. I feel like it's so exciting to know that there might be something else out there. And the idea is extremely exciting that humans are willing to like reach for that. One of the things that I really find myself appreciating Star Trek doing with its characterizations is we're still humans, even in the future. Even centuries and centuries, you know, later, we still have humanistic problems, we have we still have humanistic desires, but like we made it. We made it to a point where we're trying to fix it. You'll often hear Spock or Kirk talk about humanity's past and how we overcame years of bloodshed and everything. But then like later on in Deep Space Nine, you're still at war. And it's not their war, per se. It's insane. Like, war still happens. And I don't know. It's just it's just a fascinating idea to me. I love that point that you make about the humanity of Star Trek, because I think that that's what draws me in the most. It's a very hopeful outlook on the future. Because you're right. Like, in Star Trek, everybody's still human. We still have our human problems. But everyone in the Star Trek future has decided that we can move past that. And we can still be human, but we've learned to work together and we've learned to work past our differences. And I just feel like it's just a very hopeful outlook for the future. I agree. Now, you did say that you rabidly consumed all things Star Trek after you discovered the original series. So I'm assuming that you've seen The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and then what came after that? There were the reboot movies. And then we also have Discovery that is still ongoing. Do you have a favorite Star Trek series? You know, they're all really, really great. I think TOS might be the original series with Kirk and Spock. That lives rent-free in my mind constantly 24 hours a day. (laughs) The classic, right? (laughs) It's just, I don't know, there's something very unique and special about the original series. But I do really love, you know, Deep Space Nine and all that stuff. The movies are great. I think it's hilarious how there's... Not only like Discovery, but they have the new movies and series like Picard, and then they have the new animated series like Below Decks that's on TV, and then they have the Orville. I am a huge fan of Orville because to me it feels very classic, like Next Generation. Yes. So that one, I like watched that. Um, I love that because he said, This is my love letter to Star Trek, and I believe it. Like, I absolutely. For, you know, some of the shows that tried to be Star Trek, but not really, like, he does an amazing job. I think the Orville's pretty great. And then there's that movie that's, like, parody. <laughs> oh, are you talking about Galaxy Quest? Yes! Oh my goodness, yes! <laughs> I loved that movie so much. Not just because Alan Rickman was in it. He's my boyfriend, Alan. Um, may he rest in peace. I love that man so much. But aside from Alan being in the movie, it was a hilarious parody of Star Trek. I loved it. And the crazy thing was, I watched that as a kid. I had no idea it was a parody of Star Trek. And when I came into the Star Trek fandom and found out that movie in particular was a parody of Star I lost my mind. I was like, I loved that movie as a kid. Like, I didn't understand it because I was a kid. But I liked the rock creature. Like, you know, I loved everything about it. And so... The more I got into Star Trek, the more I realized that the things I had grown up with were an homage to Star Trek. It was like coming home. I finally found what like all these random bits of things that I loved in my life were pointing to. 
because they were basically inspired by Star Trek. So it was it was an insane process for me. Oh, that's so funny. I'm sure that going back and watching Galaxy Quest after seeing all of the Star Trek series was 10 times better. <laughs> like a brand new movie almost because you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I know what they just did there. That's so funny. <laughs> there are a lot of Star Trek characters out there because obviously we have so many Star Trek series. If you had to choose the Star Trek characters that you relate to the most, who would those be and why? Ooh, okay. I think there are definitely three, which are Captain Kirk, Captain Janeway, and Loxana Troy from TNG. The captains, for those reasons, is like, I've always been thrown into leadership positions. Growing up, I was always like the leader of a group. I was always, you know, put into a position where I was always in charge of others. And, you know, when everything went wrong, like, I, you know, people looked to me. And like, even as I got older and got jobs, like, I became managers and like, everyone looked to me and like, it was, it's just like this weird thing. And even in college right now, like had several professors tell me I should probably look at being a director or an art director, just because that is my personality in quotation marks. I guess they see me as some kind of leader. And I honestly think that like they might be a little bit true just because my personality is very outgoing. I have no problem talking to strangers in the street. I have no problem calling someone up and asking for something like I'm not really socially anxious at all. I love to have fun with people and I love team building and I have worked with great animation teams where like they they are working under me but like we do become really close like a family and I often compare that to like being a captain on Star Trek where you have the crew members that are willing to die for their captains blind loyalty and everything so there are those two that's my relationship between Captain Kirk and Captain Janeway. Like, I feel like I just fall into that position. Always, even if I don't choose it myself, it's always just kind of been thrown on me where they're like, will you be the leader of this group? And I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's happening. So, <laughs> so that just usually happens. And then Luxana Troy. I love her. I, ooh, she is my personality. When I watched her, I was like, is this an older version of me? Like, she is so out there. Like, people dealing with her, they just don't know what to do. Like, she's so wild and so childlike, and she's so lovely, and she looks at the world through, like, kind of an innocent eye because, you know, she's a mind reader, and, you know, you can't really lie to a mind reader. She just kind of has this innate ability of, she knows how evil the world can be, and yet she chooses to just be optimistic about it, to be childlike, to be in wonderment of everything, and I absolutely adore that. Like, I, I Adore that trait about her. So, like, catch me when I'm older in some uh, glittery dress walking down the street. Like, I would 1000% end up like her. So, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's so much fun to watch because her character is so performative. Not only does she have a spicy, loud personality, but then the clothes that she wears on the show, they're like costumes. They're so out there. And she is so much fun to watch. I especially liked watching her interactions with Odo on Deep Space Nine because Odo is so reserved and he's not really a people person. And then she just glides into his DMs, if you will, and is like, hey. She's, I, listen, she has that pink wig and she's, I, I love her. Like she, again, her interactions with Odo, priceless. I absolutely love those are my type of characters, man, just because they match so well with my personality, because I am 1000% like that. I don't do it on purpose. <laughs> like, I just, I just end up, I just am that way. And so I love her. I love her. I watched her and I was like, yes, I will become this when I am older. <laughs> 
I love her so much. So if that's who you end up being in your older years, that's amazing. I love it. Now, you wrote a Star Trek fan fiction that we're going to talk about a bit today called Voice in the Dark. If someone who's never read Voice in the Dark before were to ask you what that story is about, how would you describe that to them? I would describe my fanfiction Voice in the Dark. It's a murder mystery romance where the two main characters are Spock and Kirk, because that is the ship that I absolutely adore and I love to write for. It's written in an AU format where Kirk is on the precipice of getting his own command and then is framed for murder. And then there's all that backstory of like the mystery and the relationship that he's building with Spock. I think that one of the things that I loved about your story so much is that to me, the story read like a classic Star Trek episode because there's the murder mystery and we don't know who did it. There's that friendship that he builds with Spock that eventually moves into a romance. You also discuss scientific theories in your story. And you even have one point where a clone shows up. And I won't spoil the ending for anybody. But to me, that was just classic, quintessential Star Trek. So where did you come up with the idea for this specific story? And what made you want to tell it? Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really, really tried hard to go for the traditional... Because that's what I love about Star Trek. It's absolutely like, it throws you. Some of the episodes absolutely throw you through a loop. So I really tried to incorporate that. So I'm really glad that you said that. I was inspired by two DS9 episodes, one of them being called The Sound of Her Voice. It's season six, episode 25, and it's where they discover a woman's voice coming through, and they realize she's stuck on a planet, and they use transmissions to talk to her, and they're like, we're on our way, we're on our way. And then when they finally get to the planet, she's been dead for 200 years, right? They found her transmissions too late, like there was a warp in time. So they were getting the transmissions and she thought she was talking to someone, but they ended up being 200 years too late. And so that really stuck with me for a really long time. Just It was one of those episodes that like threw me. Like I was so devastated. I was like, man, they didn't, they didn't save her. I can just imagine how scared she was. Like, can you imagine calling out and you think that rescue is, is always on the way? It's always coming. Because you think that your message has gotten to someone. And so those are your last moments. Those are, you know, your last days are filled with, they're going to be here. They're going to be here. And it's not going to happen for 200 years. And so that episode threw me through some loop. I was, I like sat there in silence (laughs) after I watched that episode. I really liked the concept of communicating with someone and there's like that hope that, you know, someone is coming. And so that's really kind of like the basis of where I did A Voice in the Dark. And then I knew I really wanted to try and create a murder mystery element to my story. Like I knew that's what it needed. And so I knew I wanted clones. I knew this is what I wanted. I was like, man, I want plot twists, you know, I want everything to just be perfect. And I remember there was another DS9 episode called A Man Alone, and it's on the first season, and it's actually episode two. And it's where the constable Odo is investigating a murder that takes place on the space station. And so that's where I drew my second element from. I drew it from those two episodes. And then I just weaved them together and I did an outline and I was like, man, I hope this works. (laughs) It's several times in your author's notes, you described it as a slow burn, like the romance relationship between Kirk and Spock. 
And what makes it a slow burn is that Kirk ends up stranded in a shuttle in space and he doesn't know where he is and he doesn't know how to get out of his situation. So he does have to end up sending that signal out, hoping that somebody finds his signal and comes to rescue him. And in your story, he's never met Spock before this point, right? Because they're serving on different ships and they've just never had any interactions. And so the slow burn element comes in where the ship that Spock is serving on ends up finding Kirk's signal. And so Kirk has to end up communicating with Spock and for the first half of your story, it's just them talking, and they don't even really know what the other one looks like. And I thought that was such a beautiful idea to have them get to know each other just by the sound of their voice and just by the stories that they would exchange about their lives, because I feel like that's a very authentic way to get to know somebody. Just getting to know them as a human being and who they are as a person before you ever get to meet them in real life. Uh, yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. That is one of the things I, I tried my best to focus on because there are some fanfictions out there that like there is an immediate attraction, like an absolute, and I love those fanfictions. Those are so wonderful to read. Love at first sight, like immediate attraction. Those are great. But going into this, if you're a fan of the Kirk and Spock ship, you, you know that they're basically soulmates. So I already have that element to work with. Someone once told me that, like, you know, people like friends to lovers or enemies to lovers a lot. They like those two a lot because you are basically shown the worst side of a person first and the other person still falls in love with you. And so that's kind of like a little bit of an element that Kirk and Spock have in the original show. It's what they have in a lot of fan fictions. Like, it's just something to their relationship. Honestly, I think it's very sweet. And they just can't help being drawn, you know, towards each other. And the idea of talking to someone and getting to know them first is, it's not necessarily a new idea. Because if you think about like how unfortunately modern dating is hookup culture and everything, you can get catfished pretty easily. You know, I can go online and, you know, find a model picture and, you know, slap that on somewhere and, you know, hook someone in and like, we could seem to have a great connection, but like, it's all a facade. It's all a lie because, you know, that picture is put there and that's who you think you're talking to. And so it happens a lot where, you know, you're talking to someone and you're like, man, you know, we you either have a connection or you don't. And I really wanted it to be like, yes, there is a definite, there's something drawing them together, even though they can't see each other. Like they have no idea, at least, you know, from Kirk's point, he has no idea if the Vulcan he's talking to is like 200 years old, 300 years old. Like he has no idea. And there's just something about Spock, the person he's talking to. He is falling and he can't help it and he doesn't know what to do. It was so much fun because you do write from different characters' perspectives at different parts in your story. So it was fun to see Kirk's perspective at times. And then it was also fun to see Spock's perspective at times, especially Spock for me, because I feel like I relate to Spock more because we're just very similar in personality. And it was so much fun to watch Spock realize that he kind of likes this voice on the other end of the line. And he kind of likes the fact that he's emotional and a little chaotic. And he doesn't quite understand at first what's happening. He just knows that he has these feelings that he's unfamiliar with. So it was just really endearing to watch him work through that and work that out. So I loved it. <laughs> I'm so glad. I've talked to a lot of different authors over the years about different approaches to writing and the different ways that writers of fan fiction approach their projects. 
What can you tell us about your writing process for this fan fiction? Like, did you have an outline? Did you just pants it and dive in? Like, how did that work? So I am an extremely visual person, like extremely visual. And so usually when I have an idea that just pops into my head at like two in the morning when I'm trying to sleep, I will make a Pinterest board or an aesthetic board on Pinterest. Like I will go through and I'm like, okay, I I know this fic is going to be a slow burn. I know it's going to have these elements. This is what I'm looking for. And so I'll go to Pinterest and I'll make a board and go through it. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. And Pinterest has this wonderful thing where if you are putting in these images, it creates an algorithm specifically for you. And so it will bring up more images based on what you've already input. And sometimes scene ideas will come to me that idea, like I'll be putting in pictures of orange desert uh, Mars, like I want to get a Vulcan aesthetic, I'll put that in, it'll bring up the interior of a, a ship that shows Mars from the exterior, and I'm like, oh my god, I would love to write a scene taking place in this image, and I have the perfect scene to do it, right? And so that's how I, I begin to approach it, and it's not much different from like visual development for a movie, you know, movies... They go through several development stages. It'll start looking like this, but, you know, the more artists that have input, you know, someone will create an art piece and, you know, the directors will look at it and they're like, yes, that's what I want. That is exactly the vibe I'm going for. We're going to use this and a whole new scene will be born from it. So that's kind of how I start. I'm very visual first, so I do that. And, you know, great ideas are just born from random spontaneity and I enjoy working that way. I do try to outline if it's something, because I am quite new to writing fanfiction, I do try to outline. I am unfortunately not a very organized person, so I'll write down the scenes that I can clearly see first. I will do those, and they're kind of out of order, and I will do those first. And even though if I've written a scene where I'm like, yes, I see this now, and then I go back through like if it's written out of order and then I go back through and I get to the scene and I'm like man you were a great scene I loved you so much you were perfect at the time I gotta cut it either gotta cut it or doesn't make sense anymore because you know something happened earlier than I planned and then this emotion doesn't make any sense here and so you know I kind of go through that way but I always try to get to the story beats that I'm inspired to write first you know because you don't want to work against the grain you don't want to kick a wall that you know is not going to give you don't want to force yourself because people get stuck that way I try to write things that will excite me first because I know if it excites me it'll excite someone else so Oh, I love that. So you start first with like a virtual vision board and then you do the outline, but then you don't necessarily write all of the scenes in order. Whatever is inspiring you that day is what you end up writing. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I've heard other authors say that too, that they will just write the scenes that day that they feel inspired to write. And then it flows and comes out much easier that way. So I think that's really cool. Well, I do too. I think there's something really unique about being excited about something. And it's also kind of like how they film movies and TV shows is they'll do it out of order. But that's mostly kind of based on like budget. Like they only have a certain day with kid actors. They only have a certain, you know, and so a lot of films are like, you know, filmed out of order. And so when I go through... And I try to put everything together. I'm like, uh, I'm like an editing bay when like the director hands off a bunch of, you know, scenes. They're like, all right, make it flow. I'm just like, oh, okay, what did I do to myself? And so I do try like it does insanely work for me. It just I can kind of intimidate myself. Where I'm like, what was I doing? But it's also a really nice way to catch either loopholes for me like I'll catch something I'm like uh indiscrepancy like you know I gotta take that out 
because I jumped around and I know what's happening in the beginning and I know what's happening in the end, discrepancies like that are easier to like pick out and um you know before I present it to a mass audience of unknowns on the internet so that's also part of editing I guess so doing all of the scenes out of order and then piecing them together later helps you with the editing process that's amazing I never thought about it that way but now that you say that I can see how that would be a really great way to kind of make sure that all of the loose ends are tied up and all of the plot holes are fixed so no that's awesome Now, I know that before we started recording our podcast, we were reminiscing a little bit about how the Kirk and Spock ship was the first fan fiction ship ever, right? Back in the 60s? Absolutely insane. It's just absolutely insane. I often uh, joke with some people on Tumblr. I'm like, man, the first fandom I got into just happened to be like the original. So... (laughs) The original fandom that started it all. My understanding is that original fans back in the 60s were creating these fan-produced magazines where they would publish their fanfiction stories for other people to read. Because, of course, we didn't have the internet back then and there was no AO3. So people had to publish these stories in some sort of written format and then they would mail it out, right, to everybody on the mailing list. And that's how people back then shared it, which I think is just lovely. So it's so much fun, I think, for us these days in the modern times to remember that about the Kirk Spock ship, that it's the oldest one there is. Why do you think that the Kirk and Spock pairing works so well? Because it's insanely popular. We love it. Why? Why do we love it so much? You know, I cannot speak for everyone. The the reason I picked up on it, because before I got into Star Trek, I wasn't too much into like shipping and fandom and stuff. Like I did read fan fiction. I did, you know, a lot of that. But there was something when I was watching it because I was in school for filmmaking and, and animation and everything else. So when I was watching the original series, there's like a ton of eye contact between Kirk and Spock. There is something going like even even me who had never even like known anything about it, like watching it in the hospital. I was like, what is happening between these two characters? Like, I understand that they're friends and they're just like staring at each other. But there's a few cuts, a few like extra clips of nothing being said. But the camera is switching back between Spock and Kirk. And it looks like they're having an entire conversation that's not even taking place. And so I like as someone who is, you know, in the process of being trained, to what visually is supposed to translate off the screen into your audience, I was like, what am I picking up here? What is go- what is going on between these two characters? And so, like, there's just something, there's something about it. And I think that the actors themselves definitely attributed the way that William Shatner plays Captain Kirk and there's a way that Leonard Nimoy plays Spock. Like, there's something about the way they play the characters so well together. And, you know, despite the problems that they may have had in real life, There's just something magical that was happening there. And even me in a hospital bed watching it was like, wait a minute, what's happening here? So I don't know. And I think that also one of the other things I reflect on the question you just asked me, what makes it work? Why do we love this pairing so much? I think another aspect of it is the fact that they are soulmates. Like basically the fandom has accepted that, yes, they are soulmates or twin flames or however you choose to look at this pairing. Like there's something between them. We love them for it. All takes are welcome. But like for me personally, I know they're soulmates. I know that special magical word, which, you know, I'm not even going to try to pronounce on this podcast because I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. Oh, we're all pronouncing it wrong, girl. (laughs) 
Thalia. Thalia. I say Thalia. I know it's not Thalia. Oh, see, and in my brain, it's always Tyla. Yeah, it's, yeah. See, oh god, that was more, that was so much more beautiful than what I was saying. What? See, that's <laughs> absolutely beautiful. But like, not me. I can't pronounce that word. But like, we know. You know, Gene Roddenberry was over here being like friend, brother, lover. Like he did not. There was no in between there, and so. Nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, oh, when I, I remember learning that and being like, oh, <laughs> okay. And um, I just love the fact that they like they do share something that, you know, something that called Spock across the universe back. The Vulcans are very interesting, honestly. I love writing about Vulcans because they're a bunch of little liars. They're a bunch of little liar, lotty liars. Like, they are just like, no emotions, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> You try to logic yourself out of everything. Because, you know, there is that episode where it's in a DS9 episode where there is a Vulcan mass murderer. He's like a murderer. And the logic in his brain was telling him to go and kill people. And I'm like, you can literally logic anything. You can logic anything. And so whenever Spock is like, we don't have emotions. It's illogical. I'm like, you are a dirty little liar. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, absolutely not. (laughs) So I think that it's such an interesting dynamic because you know spock he's not supposed to have these feelings he's human and it makes him weaker and therefore he's more susceptible to emotions and then you have kirk who's like his best friend partner whoever whoever you envision them as together like he can't be anything that kirk gets to be freely and there's something really sweet and then i think the same thing happens for the way william shatner plays kirk is he's extremely emotional And I know that overacting is a product of its times, like 1960s. And there are times when Captain Kirk, he can hold himself. He can, you know, be commander in chief and be distinguished and be a great leader and captain. But like, he flips out a lot. He loses his temper. He uses Spock to stabilize him. And I think that's something that he envies in Spock is being able to be stable and to, you know, not quite share so much of yourself. But Captain Kirk, in my opinion, just can't help it. So I think that there's those two aspects that, like, they can appreciate each other for what the other has, even though it's not something for them personally that they're allowed to do. I love that answer. One of the things that I have really enjoyed about consuming a lot of Kirk Spock fan fiction is everybody's different interpretations of that specific relationship. There are a lot of stories out there that show respect between the two characters because they are quintessentially different, right? Like you pointed out, Kirk is just, he's kind of chaotic and he just kind of flies by the seat of his pants and, you know, he's very charismatic, like real leadership qualities there. And then Squawk, Squawk, (laughs) let me try that again. And then Spock is more reserved. He, even though he does have emotions that he doesn't like to admit to, he definitely comes from a more logical perspective. And so it's just very interesting that they're like polar opposites, but they do say that opposites attract, right? And I love in fan fiction where they show the two characters really respecting each other's differences. I just think it's really beautiful that you can have these two that are like polar opposites, that are still, like you said, they're soulmates, right? And I'm totally with you that in the original series, there were so many moments when I saw something going on between Kirk and Spock. And so I'm glad I'm not the only one that picked up on that because, yeah, it's there, people. It's there. All you have to do is watch the original series show and you'll know exactly what we're talking about here. 
one of the things that really drew me to your story, besides it being amazing and besides like I loved the plot and the way that you characterized all of the characters in the story, you also include these gorgeous original art pieces in your story chapters. And I understand that these are art pieces that you created personally to go along with this specific story, which I think is amazing. I loved it. What can you tell us about your process for creating those art pieces? There's two different ways that I have gone about doing this because Voice in the Dark was my tester piece because I had previously, you know, seen in the comments of other fanfictions that people didn't really like art, you know, inserted in fanfictions because it took them out of the story. Like they were visualizing something completely different. And so I was a little... I knew I always wanted to add my own artwork just because I'm so convicted in creating a product that... I can enjoy by myself, even if no one were to ever click on it, read it, touch it, you know, in a million years, I did it. Like, I'm doing it for myself. I'm very selfish. Like, I follow tropes like the Bible. I love tropes. There was only one bed. Like, I <laughs> I do it. Like, I, and I did it for myself. And so when, I, you know, I was creating Voice in the Dark, I was like, okay, I know I want to move forward and create more fan fictions where not only am I creating a story and writing, but I'm also creating the art too. So in Voice of the Dark, you can kind of tell my uh, photo sizes are a little different because uh, I'm testing out and trying to see what works, what doesn't. And then for creating the artworks, the actual art pieces themselves, half and half, it was really half and half where I would write a scene and I'm like, man, this scene needs an image. This 1000% needs an image. And then there are other images where I created it first and the scene was so much easier to write after I created that picture because I could just look back at the picture and I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I was envisioning. Because all you have to just do is describe what you're seeing in an image. And um, going back to the Pinterest board stuff, that also helps me. Like if I come across a landscape, like a jungle rainforest, I'm just describing what I'm looking at in the picture and, you know, just so people can read it and visualize it themselves. And so it kind of goes into this wonderful hand in hand process. So half my images are done prior where I'm like, I, I know I want this to happen. This is what it's going to look like. And then writing the scene becomes a lot easier. And then vice versa, where I wrote the scene and I'm like, oof. This calls for imagery, you know? <laughs> absolutely, it does. The pictures and the art that you included in your story were absolutely gorgeous. What medium are you using when you create those art pieces? I'm trained traditionally in painting, but I am using Photoshop CC. Voice in the Dark was my baby beta tester. I had just barely learned how to use Photoshop. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be my training piece. I'm going to figure all of this out. And that's why I was so absolutely touched that you reached out to be on, you know, your podcast. I was, this to me was like, if it fails, it fails. You know, if people love it, they love it. It was just kind of the piece that like, I, you know, I let go of the training wheels and I'm like, what will be, will be, right? And, you know, depending on uh, the feedback I get, I can sharpen my skills for an even better, you know, fan fiction in the future. And so that was, you know, Photoshop CC. I just learned how to do it. I know how to do traditional principles and art, but like, technology. <laughs> I'm still learning on that forefront. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're all still learning things, right? With the things that we're into, whether it's writing or whether it's art or what have you. This story is, if I remember correctly, about 21 chapters. So it is a multi-chapter story. I imagine that there were times when you did run into challenges. What was the most difficult part of this story to write? Okay. I knew because it is a murder mystery, I knew I was going to have to write a courtroom scene. 
and I knew based on all of like the breadcrumbs and clues I had left throughout that there were going to be multiple people in this courtroom scene. And so that was, you know, something I challenged for myself. Can I write a scene where the reader can keep track of everyone in the room at the same time? And can I do it in a way that would not confuse the readers? And so thankfully, I wrote, I knew it was going to happen. And since it was my first time writing a courtroom scene, I made it a non-traditional courtroom scene. I made it so I specifically curated it so that it, it did not function as a normal courtroom scene. Like there is a judge, but it's like a sit down judge. He's like sitting amongst them. They're, they're reviewing evidence, but it's not like a traditional courtroom scene like you would see in TOS. It's like court martial episode where there, you know, there's like a big inquiry of Captain Kirk's wrongdoing. So I wrote it that way because I knew my writing wasn't sharpened enough to be at that point. That chapter, it's very long. I'm bringing all the, the clues I left along the way. I'm bringing all the breadcrumbs together to create this loaf of bread to give to my readers. So that one, I was just a little, you know, I was concerned about that one. And so that one was like my hardest because not only am I providing the reader with a lot of information, I'm keeping track of a lot of information too. That, and I did all of it while I had COVID. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. I did have COVID while I wrote that scene and like half the time I was like, man, I don't feel well, but I have to finish this chapter where I'm going to lose some evidence. I'm going to leave something out. And even though I did have an outline to go off of, when you get into a flow, you finish that flow. Like you do not stop <laughs> for anything if you are getting into the flow. Because you'll never know when you'll find that flow again, at least for me. <laughs> That's incredibly impressive that not only did you write a multi-chapter story and create beautiful art for it and then post it all for us to read and enjoy, but you were doing it with health challenges. You had COVID while you were doing this. So I'm incredibly impressed. I had to do what the fic needed. <laughs> Half of me was like, all right, if I die, this is the last piece. I'm going to leave the earth. Right, well, this will be my last testament. I was like, I can't leave an uncompleted fig. Well, we're so glad that you're, you know, healthy now and you've passed the COVID challenge of last year. So that's really great to hear. As it turns out, the response to your story, from what I can tell, has been very good. As of yesterday, I counted 23 pages of comments from people who really responded very well, not only to the story, but to the art. What has been your favorite response to this story so far? The comments. The co I, am, I am absolutely brought to my knees, humbled with every comment, that's, even if it's just like an emoji, because someone took the time to pull up the screen where you leave a comment and they either wrote like something extremely thoughtful. They, they're like, I appreciated this element. Like, I appreciated how much, you know, work you went into it. Even if they just like, you know, random keyboard letters, like they were excited about something. I absolutely, that fuels me. I absolutely, I'm just so touched because as an artist, you know, you can work years on a painting. You can, you know, work years in a painting and it's hung up in a gallery and someone will look at it for two seconds and move on, right? And so for the idea of someone to just like, I put so much, you know, love and I tried to put so much love and attention into this fic and for someone to like take the time of, you know, sitting down and they like, they wrote me an absolute paragraph of like, they pointed out the things I loved and, and you know, I just, it makes me unbelievably happy like i am flying over the moon the shot of serotonin has been administered i just i get so excited when i see that little ping in my email like oh, my heart flutters like i'm in love with my readers it's okay <laughs> like, and so like that's just like the best response is like just anything in general because you know someone did take the time out of their day and 
you know, they went and showed me how much they appreciated it. And I 1000% appreciate that back. Yes. I've said this before on my podcast. I'm not a writer myself. I'm a reader. So I think it's important for us as readers, especially to remember that what the artist does, what the author does is amazing. It takes a lot of time to write these stories. So they always appreciate it when us readers take the time out of our day to just type something out on the comment section, even if you don't know what to say, even if it's just something short, like I loved it. You're making someone's day when you do that. So you have posted eight fan fiction stories so far on AO3, and I'm sure that you're working on new projects that you'll be posting in the future. What are some things that you've learned about the writing process, and do you have any advice that you'd like to impart to other authors about what you've learned? Well, let me just preface this by saying I'm still learning. Like, I am using every comment, every, you know, I research things. I, I'm doing the absolute best I can to put forward. And again, like I said, even if no one read it, like, it's something that I can sit back and be like, wow, I created something that I would have read. I would have gone and read this from someone else. You know, I try really hard to improve my practice. And I've really kind of learned that early on in life. When I talk to like peers, they're like, oh, I would love to do that. But like, you know, I, this reason, this reason, this reason. I'm like, look, there will always be people better than you. Always. There will always be people better than you. There will always be people who are worse than you, right? You shouldn't ever let that stop you from trying. At least, you know, even if you try and you're just like, eh, this isn't for me, right? You know, you can say that you did it. Like you can say that, you know, I jumped in, like I did my best, it wasn't for me. But the mentality of like going into something and you're like, well, yeah, there's someone, you know, making a million dollars off of writing. And then there's, you know, some kids scribbling in their journal who will, you know, one day try to make it like always. And that scale of skill shouldn't scare anyone because that person who just like made a million dollars off of their book, there's someone better out there than them. They're just not published. There's always going to be someone better than you, and there's always going to be someone worse. And their journey has nothing to do with you. From what I have learned, and you know, the way I grew up, is to just like do it. You just do it. <laughs> like, not to sound like a Nike ad or anything unsponsored, you know, but that's just the way I've kind of like lived my life is to just jump in and see where I can take myself. It's important, I think, for us to remember that you only live once and we're responsible for making ourselves happy and doing the things that we love, right? So sometimes you just got to jump in and do it, even if it's scary. I had an author say to me once that, uh, you know, even if you feel like you're bad, you got to just keep going because the more that you do it and the more that you practice, you're going to get better. It's impossible to keep writing and get worse. So I love that. Story Shark 2005. Thank you for that. Now, one of the reasons why I do this podcast, obviously, I love fan fiction. And I think that there's so much about fan fiction that's worth talking about. It's worth reading. It's worth writing. Why do you think that fan fiction is worth writing and reading? There are several reasons. There are just several reasons. I think one of the funniest reasons are we were presented as a mass group of people, a story or a movie or, you know, some type of media. And a mass group of people were like, ding dong, you're wrong. That's not how the story goes. And they then proceed to tell what really should have happened, you know? I think that's pretty funny. I was, you know, that cracks me up. I think that it's hilarious that, you know, Hollywood spent like, you know, they paid all these people to create something and then they present it to us and they're like, mm, actually, 
<laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> so that always, the idea just makes me laugh. And then I think that fan fiction, it's so unique. It shows love to characters who have a rich backstory, but didn't get any spotlight it deserved because of the stigma in the social structure of a culture that it was created in because it wouldn't sell. Or, you know, like there's always those characters that you're like, why wasn't the movie about them? As me, who is currently being trained in movies and the industry, is run by corporations, not by artists, unfortunately. It's not run by the people who love and put effort and backstory into these characters. It's run by people who unfortunately were like, yeah, that's a cool character. We'll throw them in there. Like diversity, right? They don't get the absolute love that this character deserves. And so I think it's a great outlet for fanfic authors. You know, they're like, wow, this character was not treasured at all. I'm going to take this character and it is now going to be like a 41 chapter series. Like there's that aspect. And I think that one of the absolute best things that fanfiction can do, it gives everybody a voice. It gives everyone a voice. How fantastic is that? It's a platform where you can go on and you're like, I think that this is how it should have gone. I mean, yes, there is gatekeeping, unfortunately, and there are always trolls on the internet, right? But like, the voice still got out there for the criticism to come back. It, it's just something so exciting to me. Like, I have read fan fictions where I'm like, this is beautiful. And it's like some 14 year old, you know, writing from the notes on their phone. Like, it's so exciting. They didn't have to go through a publishing company that then would water down their story. They didn't have to fight through the millions and millions of books in the libraries or whatever. I typed in my tags, that story came up, and they had a platform. And that's something I absolutely adore about fanfiction. I saw this Tumblr post the other day, and it was about fanfiction and why this specific person liked fanfiction so much. And I don't unfortunately remember who the author of this post was, but in the tags on the post, she put, fan fiction is the fiction of the people. These are the stories of the people. So I love that you bring that element into your answer because I feel that way too about fan fiction, that fan fiction is like, these are the stories of the people. And we have an amazing platform on AO3, on fanfiction.net, and on other sites where we get to post this stuff and it doesn't cost us a thing. And then people like me, who aren't writers, we're just readers, but we can go and we can enjoy beautiful stories and it doesn't cost us a thing. And we're all coming together and enjoying and having this amazing experience. I love it. Yeah, I love it too, especially as like a creator. Yes, we are doing it free. <laughs> like we are doing it because either we want to or, you know, it's just something that's just really magical to me. Storytelling, the creating something to either keep to yourself or to present to others is, I think, really purely humanistic. Um, I think it's just very sweet. And the exploration that we see in Star Trek is really kind of like brought back into like the exploration of like who you are when you write. Who are you creating for? Are you just creating for yourself? And that's okay if you are. Like, it's great. I absolutely adore that. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that answer. I love that. My final question for today is, who are the top three AO3 authors that you follow? You know, I don't necessarily follow, follow anyone. There are a few people that will pop up every now and again. I don't have any of their handles. I usually just go in blind and I'm like, what will the fandom bring me today? And that usually, that's been working out pretty great for me because I'll find something really unique, something I haven't tried before. Either it's a unique pairing. I am pretty like religiously stuck to the Spurk pairing, but there are like a few, you know, fan fictions that their plot 
is enough to pull me in where I'm like, all right, I'm going to test this out. Like, you've intrigued me, good madam or sir or they them. Like, you've intrigued me, person on the internet, that I will then go and enter the fanfiction. So I don't really have anyone I follow. There are so many. There's just so many great ones. And so I'm sorry, that's not a very good answer. (laughs) No, no, it's perfectly honest. There are some of us who just go in and we see what we want to see and we follow certain tags on AO3 and what pops up is just beautiful because you're right. You can go into AO3 at any given time of the day and pull up something wonderful that you didn't expect. Yeah, especially if it's someone who's like doing it for the first time. Like I'll have no idea who they are and it'll be their first fan fiction. I'm like, what heavenly precipice did this fall out of? Like, it's great. Okay, so... Since you don't have any specifics that you follow, I will just give a small wreck to folks out there who like the Kirk and Spock pairing. This is an older story, all right? I think it was published, I don't know, 2015 or something. I could be wrong about that. But the author's name is Emio, and the title of the story is Spice. One word, just spice. So if you like slow burns... (laughs) If you like romance between Kirk and Spock, it's a beautiful story. One of my favorite Star Trek fandom fan fiction stories of all time. So if anybody's looking for a wreck for Star Trek and especially the Spurk ship, check out Spice. So with that, did you have any last words for us today, Borealis Blue? Honestly, I'm just really honored you brought me on to talk here. And I am humbled that people out there read my fan fiction. I hope to continue to create something that other people can enjoy because it brings me a lot of joy knowing that it brought someone else joy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Borealis Blue, thank you for joining us today and taking time out of your day to speak with us. Check out her story, folks. Her story is called Voice in the Dark. It's available on AO3. Go check it out. Go read it. Check out her art. It's beautiful. Give her some love. If you'd like to reach out, I can be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs>